You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Keep Going Podcast, and we are in a series called Hope Hunters. Just a note before we begin, I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. I'm fascinated by people who keep going when most others would have given up or become bitter. I call them hope hunters because when they don't have any hope, they hunt for it. My next guest in the Hope Hunter series is Jessica Hoddle. She lives in Pennsylvania with her husband and three cats, a girl after my own heart there, and she helps people find physical fitness and freedom through the source of health himself, Jesus. We talked recently about a time when her own health began to fail, and here's how she hunted for hope when the situation seemed hopeless. Three years ago, almost right after my husband and I got married, probably six months or so after that, I, my body just started failing me. And in my mind, it was just like one thing after another, I was starting to get really tired all the time. I was having flare ups. I was having bloating. At one point I had passed out on an airplane in the bathroom. Don't remember falling. All I remember is waking up on an airplane bathroom floor. And we know how gross that probably was. Grossest. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just remember like, so after that had happened, it was like this summer where I started to get really dizzy spells all the time, couldn't work out, could barely walk, could barely function. And pretty much every symptom regarding thyroid, adrenal, all the things out there right now, I probably had them, named them and had them. And I started keeping track of my symptoms and what had happened that I had become so consumed with fear. See, a lot of doctrines out there and people will tell you that God gives you sickness to teach you a lesson. Mm-hmm, I've heard that. And that kept me in prison. It kept me in prison in my sickness because how can you go to a healer if you think he's given you the sickness? Wow. And so I started to go, well, God, what do you want to teach me through this? What, what is it that you want me to do? So it wasn't me trying to get over or heal. It was what am I trying to learn through all of this? And yes, disease our story for good. Absolutely. But we have to know who causes it too. And for me, it took me a long time, many doctors, many misdiagnoses and diagnoses, if that's a word, uh-huh. <laughs> misdiagnosed. And to understand and finally get into a church that was preaching the word of like, hey, God wants you well. He wants you healed. And as soon as I flipped that switch, it was like my hopes got up and now I was not just surviving through the symptoms. It was, there has to be more. There has to be an answer for this. I don't feel like he would, we would be on this earth if there wasn't an answer for what I was going through according to his word. And so that was like that moment of, I felt stuck. I was desperate. I was so uh, lethargic. I just felt as though that my world was crashing down because it was my life. Like I love moving my body. I love being able to go outside and it was felt like it was stolen from me. 
Mm -hmm. So prior to, to that onset of fatigue and, and discomfort, uh, your life was very active. Yes, absolutely. And well, here's the thing though, about being active is that, you know, I've been in the fitness industry for 10 years and the first probably half of that was, I used my body as, as a tool to be seen, to be loved and to be heard. And so that means that I was in the gym all the time. Um, I probably wasn't eating, eating as many calories as I should have. And I was also, I didn't know it at the time, but probably dealing with a lot of trauma from my childhood. Mm -hmm. And so add on all those small T traumas and then add on all the stress that you put on your body. I think it was time that my body was like, okay, like we need some help. <laughs> and I think that's what really started it. Tell me how your relationship with your husband was affected by this time period, because it, I'm assuming that his lifestyle, his physical um, abilities stayed the same. He, he didn't go downhill too at the same time, right? Mm -mm, so no. when you were going downhill, um, how did that affect your relationship? Was he still trying to go at the same pace as before? I said, sorry, a lot. Because, because when, when you're going through something and your body's out of balance, you tend to, you'll get short, you'll be so tired, you'll snap, you'll be irritated, you kind of feel out of control with what you say, what you do. Um, and so oftentimes I was just constantly snapping at him all the time. And it was kind of like, I would snap and then I'd be like, why can't I fight this? You know, cause it was, I knew what was happening, but it was like, as if my body was telling me a different story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he honestly was just really kind throughout the whole process. So we spent a lot of, spent a lot of time in and out of doctors and we spent a lot of money, um, just on naturopaths and blood work and all that thing. And to be honest, he was supportive the entire time, um, and supportive the entire way. So he didn't change much. Like he still stayed steady and I would want him to do that, but more or less it was me of our relationship with how we communicated and what we did because I never felt like doing much that kind of, you know, was the, probably the biggest hindrance. Well, before we move on with the rest of the story, what happened after you started hearing the truth yeah. um, in your church, in your church, I want to pause and just have you say something to spouses of people who are really suffering physically because i've always said if you're not the one in the hospital bed you're the one beside it yeah and both of those positions are very painful mm -hmm. um so what word can you give to someone who is a caregiver right now yeah. and maybe in a serious way or in just um, a chronic low impact way in their lives because it sounds like you were not an invalid but he was chronically helping you I mean there yeah. was stress on him as well so could you speak to spouses oh yeah and I, I have to say too you know there's a story that I haven't shared with anybody and um don't know when I will but there's times where my husband has gone through his own things when I was well um and so I come from both sides so I can speak from both sides of being in the hospital bed and being yeah. on the other side. And one of the biggest things that I can say is understanding. And, uh, you know, it, to be in marriage is very sanctifying and it's very uh, understanding. It's not about you. 
And, you know, there are times where, you know, our needs, right. Our soul wants certain needs and, and our body wants certain, there's things that are, we want, but to un- come from an understanding and loving perspective and trying to ask that person questions of what they need. Because mm-hmm. my, my first thing is like, I want to fix it. How can I help? How can I coach you through this? Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyone who has um, exhortation as a spiritual gift um, wants to coach people through it. And I, that's what I do. I'm all like, get up, come on, let's go. Sometimes that is um, not as helpful yeah. as, you, as you hope. Because someone says, okay, today I don't need to get up. I need to stay still. Yeah. I don't need to, to go for it. I need, I need someone to just listen mm-hmm. and understand. Yeah. Understanding is probably a vague um, idea, but you know when you're receiving it. Yeah. Don't you? You know when well, understanding is like understanding when I say that is asking them questions to understand what they're going through. How are they feeling? What what is it that they're experiencing? And understanding that this won't be forever, that this is a season, that, you know, there are times where your husband will be in front and there will be times where you'll be in the back and then vice versa. And then sometimes there'll be where both of you are in the front. And I think it's understanding that too, like as you're just different seasons of life and understanding where you are in your season and just being kind to yourself in that season too. Being kind, that's right. And being kind to each other being kind to yourself. Okay. So tell me about the truth that you started hearing in your church. That, I mean, the biggest truth was God wants you well. And like his whole word talks about wellness in a sense of spiritually, emotionally, you know, our actions, all of that. And so to just come from this place of God wants you sick because he wants you to learn this to God wants you well, it, I mean, it was, it was a lot of renewing and I'm still renewing those old beliefs of, I mean, we don't even have to settle for headaches or body aches. Like we just settle into it because we think, well, this is just a part of life. Normal. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. And I'm like, to me, I'm like, no, I don't want to live anything than God's best. And I'm not saying things don't come for us or we won't experience headaches. I'm just saying like, I'm going to fight that mentally to not settle into it. Cause as soon as we settle into it, it's really easy to lose hope, mm-hmm. it's really easy to settle into our dysfunction than to visualize ourselves being well, which is hope. It's that confident expectation. It's the visualization so that, cause hope, faith needs hope to work with. Whoa. Okay. Faith needs hope to work with. Tell me more about that. We, if we're not hoping or expecting God to show up or to keep his promises, then how is our faith? really active because we're not moving towards the thing that towards his word towards his truth does that make sense like if we believe that we're well our bodies and our minds are going to move in that direction even if yeah even if we're not well yet quote unquote like we have symptoms we can still move in a direction that we believe we're well versus if we believe we're sick our bodies will feel and believe and move in that motion of sickness. Right. Now, um, during times of great um, difficulty, physical difficulty in my life, I I started embracing this idea of myself as a fighter, as a fighter, as a fighter. And while I think that's a good image in some ways, 
it also can, well, the enemy can twist anything. Yeah. And he started twisting it to be, the burden is on me to, mm. to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the sentiment of keeping going, but when it's, the burden is on you to be the fighter. Yeah. So when I heard you say, um, I want to fight this, I know that you don't believe the burden is on you, but can you clarify that for anyone who's listening? Um, what it looks like to fight it mentally. You said, I want to fight this mentally and not just accept it as normal. Yeah. Could you explain in a specific term, terms what that means to you? Well, I was reading something this morning and you know, when scripture tells us that we're more than a conqueror, right? When, um, when he calls us an overcomer, to be a conqueror and to be an overcomer means what? that we've gone through something <laughs> and that there's a testimony to share. And so we can't be an overcomer if there's nothing that we've overcome. And I think that's important is that, you know, we've been redeemed from the curse, but we're not redeemed from persecution. And so the most important thing during that time for me was the enemy would come in and try to convince me to be in fear. And that is when I knew I wasn't standing in truth. The scripture that got me through all of that was there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And it says fear involves torment. And so I knew when a symptom would come in and I start fearing it, it was torment because he was trying to torment me of um, if a new symptom arise, because again, a seed can only produce after its own kind. And so if I'm in worry and fear, what am I going to reproduce? More worry and fear, more fear. And so that's what I was doing. And then that in turn presented more symptoms. And so when I say battle it, like I knew his word and that's what I stood on. It wasn't about my performance. It was about, I had to change my mind of how I viewed my body and my sickness that was coming at me because the enemy again, tried to torment me so many times of you're going to be here forever. You're not going to be able to do this or work out the way you used to or whatever lies that come to me at that moment of, but I can always go back and go, no, that's not his promise for me. Mm-hmm. And that is what I meant by like the battle of the torment and the confusion, right? Because if, if you're in faith and in hope, what is the enemy going to attack you with? Doubt. Because you know, he knows you're in faith. And so if you didn't have faith, he wouldn't attack you with doubt. And so it's that whole renewing process. Yes. So you don't generate your own hope. You stand in agreement with the truth that God has already spoken over you. He's already spoken life over you. You're, you're, you're just moving yourself into agreement with it mentally, not, not forcing yourself to, to generate some energy and hope every day. That's too hard, but there's enough hope in truth, right? Oh yeah. So tell me something more that you, that you learned at that time. And then how that translated physically, what Mm -hmm. started changing? Cause I'm assuming some things started changing once you started believing the truth. Well, I realized, you know, when, when I read in scripture, you see so much about unbelief, you know, you know, uh, I have a couple of scriptures that I have just been reading over and over again. And one is about in, in Romans, it's Romans four, it's talking about Abraham. It says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. And that's our key. I feel like is, is that being fully convinced that what he said he will do. And he didn't waver 
at the promises through unbelief. And that is where we get in trouble. It's not the doubt. It's the unbelief that God will do it for us because we see him do it for everybody else. But we see him do it for everybody else, but it's hard to see him do it for us. Yes. All the time I hear people say, I can believe big things for so-and-so. I can believe big things for you. I can pray big things and, and totally believe that. But about mine, about yeah. my situation, my life, I don't know if he would do that for me. Yeah. And that's our own responsibility of taking time to heal, um, understanding, because we know ourselves way too well. And God knows, we know that God knows that. So we, he knows our sin. He knows our past. He knows the things that we've done. And so we hold that into light because I might not know everything about you, Nika, but you know everything about you. And so I can be like, Nika, let's go. You're doing great. You're doing great. But then you think of yourself and go, oh, but I did that and nobody might know. Do you know what I mean? We put ourselves into the equation of God and that just Jesus plus me, like Jesus plus nothing, <laughs> you know, it's like Jesus plus me is not going to work out, but it's Jesus plus nothing is when everything changes. And he doesn't heal based on your merit. He yeah. Heal based on your characteristics. Yeah. He heals based on his own characteristics. Yeah. He's the healer. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and I think we have to take that. Sometimes we think, I think uh, people think God plays favorites and that's just not his character either. Um, just going, you know, before him. And I love the cross-reference of that. It's in Hebrews 11. And it says, Sarah received strength to conceive a child past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. It's like those joining words because. Why did she receive? Because she judged him faithful. Mm -hmm. I think that's all our heart posture, right? And so when I began healing, it was coming out of an unbelief. You know, we see even scripture where Jesus would get rid of the doubt in the room. He would get rid of the naysayers. Like, you're not allowed to get out for right now. You don't believe that this person's going to be healed or raised from the dead. Get out. Um, and, and even in Acts, um, is it Paul or Peter, where he again kicks people out of the room and tells them to stand outside as he raises the girl up. And I think it's important that we do the same. Like, spiritually, we get the doubt out of the room so that we can stand on the truth. Wow. I never thought about it that way. I've never thought about it that way. Yes. Ex just getting everything out of the way that is standing in the way. Yeah. And the doubt, yeah, is something that we allow to stay just in case it feels protective. Yeah. It feels protective in some way, like, um, in, just in case Jesus did this, doesn't do this, just in case Jesus doesn't change this situation or heal me, I, I kind of knew he wouldn't. So I'm okay. I was prepared. Yeah. I'm prepared for this. Instead of being like, I, I'm going to give 100% of my belief toward Jesus, like in yeah. the wind column, not a little bit over here where yeah. I can feel safer, but I'm putting it all on him, all of it. And I think not only with uh, the analogy of kicking the doubt out of the room, but there are times we need to kick a few people out of the room. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In my healing journey, I was very careful of what people were speaking to me because our thoughts are energy. Mm -hmm. we, we can prove that through science. And if you, through scripture, how many times did you talk about the words that we speak, the out of, out of our hearts overflow, telling us what 
like to not speak evil, to not like all of this matters. And so if you're allowing somebody just to say, oh, well, you're just sick and you're always going to be like that. It's okay. No, it's not okay. So like you said, getting people out of the room and was very important to me of, Hey, look, I'm healing and I need people are going to rally with me and stand in their agreement with me and not just, you know, accept it with me. Yes. Well, I love practical techniques. So one thing you said about spouses was to show understanding, you ask questions. So I love that anybody who's listening to that can go back to your how I can show understanding is to ask questions. Well, now I want to talk about something practical you can do to get maybe those people who are speaking um, out of alignment with the word, you know, I mean, and they're well-meaning Christians. Yeah. Absolutely. They're well-meaning Christians, but what, what can you say that does not alienate that friend for life? Yeah. I think it's, you know, it depends on, I always tell people there's like circles, right? You have Jesus first and then you have your really best friends and then you have like your acquaintances and your family and every layer kind of goes out. And I think the most important thing you can do is communicate and everybody comes from a different, uh, I guess, doctrine of the Bible, depending on their relationship and how they view God to be, you know, do they view him to be just a, you know, a king on a throne that's so distant and you're just bowing down to him? Or do they view him as like this, this loving, kind uh, person that, you know, corrects us and all those things. And so I think all of that matters, but the most important thing is that you can what you can do is only speak your truth and your boundary with them. And if they don't respect that or understand that, that has to be okay. And if they keep coming to you with the same things, then you can just constantly say like, Hey, I don't believe that. Can you not speak that about me or to me? Um, and just, I mean, those are hard conversations to have. Very hard. Life and death is in the power of the tongue and you really can't take that lightly. And I think that, you don't want somebody speaking death over you, you know, and you want somebody to join you in life and hope. And I think that can go for all of us of, you know, when we are seeing somebody struggling, what you say to them, like, just get over it. Like, that's not going to help them get over it. Or, you know, it's what can you do to help that goes back to the question, but also understanding that you want your tongue to speak life. And so you want to stand in agreement and we should be standing in agreement. They're going to be healed, not just let's settle into dysfunction. I think the church needs to rise up and we need to stand in agreement more and more and more about God does want us well in spirit and emotions and body. Right. Right. Um, so can you think of, um, anytime when somebody spoke something over you that was, um, dangerous or, um, I, I don't know. There have been several times when somebody has, has said things to me and I can't think of anything right now, but that was dangerous. Or I heard someone say the other day, oh, this is killing me. And I, I was like, that's dangerous. I, I truly believe that's dangerous to say, to yeah. keep saying that about yourself. And so I had to say, please realize that you have to speak things that you want to bloom. Yeah. Do you want that to bloom? Because I sure don't. I love you. And I don't want that you planted a seed. 
You just planted a seed with your words. And if you want that to bloom, I mean, and then I think the person thought twice about, about that. And then I've also had people say things like that about me. And it's the same thing that actively I walk away. Well, I'll say the kind of, the same kind of thing. Like, I really don't want that to bloom in my life. So please don't say anything like that again, but I'll walk away and break that curse. Yeah. And I'll just say, you know what, that I, I do not receive yep. that sentiment at all. Yeah. And the, the blood of Jesus covers me completely. And I'm going to plant what he is, what he has says to plant, planting his own words into my life. No, that's so true. Cause you know, maybe that person's more of an acquaintance at church. Right. And so you have to know your levels. Like if it's a in, if it's a close friend, of course you can probably have more of a conversation, but you know, if you're in church and you just run into people all the time, more than likely, like what you said, Nika, you're going to have to just smile, walk away. I don't receive that, you know? And mm -hmm. in my own life, I would probably say that it, that came to me with doctor's diagnoses. I keep saying diagnosis. Diagnoses. <laughs> diagnosis. <laughs> it is. Um, is that when somebody tells you something over your life, you kind of start to get fearful, especially if some uh -huh. other things have been happening and you've experienced all these things. So for me, it was even now when something new comes up, it's my, my flesh response is fear, but my hope response is this isn't true. And, and so it happens simultaneously in a way. Yes. Oh yeah. For me. Yeah. I mean, it happens like, it's just that it's like one on the shoulder on the other shoulder. Right. Yeah. And I have to be, and I'm more aware of it now. I'm like, okay, I'm fear. I'm responding in fear. Calm down. This isn't true. And so, uh, when that happened, that was a big one for me of, I had to be careful of when people would say, well, this is this, and you're going to take this medication and I'll see you later. And just all these things it's, but okay, here's what they're saying. Okay. Thank you. Cause we can, that's a fact. I might have that, but facts don't have to have the final say. Right. And so I'm going to go, okay, thank you. This is going to help me maybe heal my body, like in this direction of what's going on as far as symptom, but I know the truth. And mm -hmm. so that was probably my biggest one for me of when you're going through a healing journey, be careful of listening to every doctor's opinion or yeah. whatever somebody says, because it is, it will take you through hell. Can I just be honest? Like it will take you through emotional hell if you're not in your Bible to stand on the truth. That's right. And I want to back up for a second. We've been using the word alignment a lot. And I don't ever want to use words that, that people are like, what did, what did it even mean? That's a churchy kind of word. But yeah. when you said like it's two sides, like a devil and an angel, everyone's familiar with the cartoon devil and angel <laughs> on your shoulder. Yeah. Well, I want to think for anyone who's never, who's been thinking, what are they talking about getting in alignment? Um, that's like the enemy, did Satan and Jesus are saying like that red rover game when you played in, in elementary school red rover red rover let jessica come over and you can go to the other side you can stay where you are and alignment is choosing which side you're going to be on yeah but what the enemy is saying you can go get in his line mm -hmm. for the red rover game or you can go get in jesus's line but if you're on jesus's side if you're in alignment with him that's the winning side so yeah, it's terrifying when you get a diagnosis yeah. um, from a doctor. And I want to say practically too, I mean, all about the practicality. Um, I have been very careful 
as I've examined my words, I've been very careful about using the word have anymore. Oh, yeah. For, I mean, I was diagnosed when I was 12 years old. I was diagnosed with lupus. I used to tell everyone, I have lupus. I have lupus. I would say it all the time. And I was like, or, and I thought, I, I'm careful about that now. And I just say, I was diagnosed with lupus. Hmm. It's not mine. I don't want it. I mean, you only say things that you want to bloom. I don't want to have lupus. I don't want to take care of it because the things you have, you take care of. I'm not taking care of lupus. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't belong to me. So I was diagnosed with it. That is a fact, but it's not something that I'm fully embracing. And I'm not kidding you. My health has improved. A oh, lot. goodness. I'm telling you. I've changed that language. <sighs> There's nothing he can't cover. And that's what I tell myself, Jess, like there's nothing he can't cover. You mm -hmm. know, like when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't just picking items off a to-do list. Right. Like, okay, this sickness, okay, a cold, I'm not going to cover a cold or a sore throat. You know, like he's not, that wasn't the point. It was all of it. Right. You know? And right. I think, I mean, that's just amazing. Like I, it's just so good. It's, it's powerful where, how when we, transform our thoughts. And I want to address this too, is I talk a lot about truth and lies. And the only way we know a lie is if we read, is, if we read the word. That's right. That's the only way we know the lie, because the we probably have beliefs that we believe to be true because we sit in the church or maybe we're sitting under a church or somebody that um, the message sounds really good and it gets me encouraged, but there's not a lot of scripture or teaching around the scripture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was these evolution of me just even being in the word of, okay, what is, what was his whole life like on earth? What did he do? What is his, you know, disciples doing now with the word of how should I be transferring in my heart? You know? And so, I mean, that is the only way we know the lie is if we know what the truth is, what God's word says about healing or forgiveness or giving or, you know, sowing and reaping and our tongue and, you know, all that stuff. That makes me think of the question I hear probably the most often, how do I hear the voice of God? Mm. Well, the only way you recognize the lie is by knowing the truth, by reading the word. And the only way you recognize the voice of God is by reading the word because yeah. you start getting used to the sound of his voice. Yeah. You get very used to the kind of things he would say. Well, and that's so true. And I, I tell other people the same thing too is, you know, you know your husband's voice, Nika. Why? Because you spend time with him. Mm -hmm. And so he could be in a crowded room and yell Nika and you'd be like, I know it's my husband. Yeah. Because yeah. you've spent time with him. Yeah. I'm just going to, there are some listeners that are smiling right now. I'm just going to receive that, Jessica, because I've never <laughs> been married. So I'm going to yeah. receive that. That. I'm going to hear his voice and recognize it instantly because I've spent a lot hey, that's of like a, that's like a prophecy there. It is. That's it's, what I'm saying. I'm receiving it right now. You just spoke some life. Because I do believe I'll recognize my husband's voice. You said we've spent a lot of time together. I truly believe we have in prayer. Oh, goodness, yeah. We would go before the throne room and be side by side and not even know it. <laughs> but like side by side of the spirit. So, I mean, that's true. But you're right. You recognize uh, family members voice instantly but you don't recognize the voice of the checker at the grocery store because you only hear them once a week mm -hmm. and yeah. if you're listening to your your family or friends every day you know their voice in a crowd 
Yeah. Baby crying. I'm sure you could, you know, moms out there, you can hear your kid crying three aisles over, you know, like, you know, because you spend time with them and that it can be as simple as that. You can hear the enemy come in, you know, like that scripture of there is no fear in love in that fear involves torment. Like that was epiphany moment for me. And that is when I could discern of, am I being tormented by a thought? Am I keep, do I keep thinking about this over and over and over again? Cause I knew I was being tormented. And mm-hmm. so knowing that scripture helped me to understand what was happening when I was having these opposing thoughts or so much fear and so much worry for me personally. Right. The scripture became the key that unlocked the situation for you. Yeah. Recognized torment for what it was. Yeah. And if you hadn't read that verse, you wouldn't have had the key to unlock that. I really so, truly believe that. That I mean, that scripture I said to myself, so I can't tell you how many times. Yeah. Okay. So there are people who say, um, I just can't, I can't get into reading the Bible. I try and then I don't. What advice, practical advice do you have for someone who doesn't feel like they can do it? Uh, a little. So I didn't, I'm 32 at the time of this corning and I didn't know Christ until I was 21. And even after I knew Christ, I was kind of the Bible picker. I was like, oh, let me just open up the Bible, find like a really cool scripture. You know, like, does this, I, I don't understand that. So I'll bypass that. Um, and then over time, I've kind of evolved of, okay, well, what is this? And then I started reading, you know, one chapter. And then I'm like, okay, now what does the chapter before say and have to do with it? And so practical would be a couple of things. Um, talk to your pastor about maybe a commentary or something that you can follow, um, a Bible reading plan. That's always an easy way to just start with a couple scriptures, find a ministry or organization that you love um, that's doable for you, where you can maybe just sit down and check off each day. Like, so it will guide you through reading the Bible in a year or two years. That's always really good. Um, Jen Wilkin has a really great book, Women in the Word. That's a really great book. She teaches you about context and how to just read and get more curious about it. Um, but there's layers, right, that come. And so if you want to just start digging in right away, commentary is great too. Just buying um, books like I have, I'm reading through First and Second Corinthians right now of the commentary. And commentary is you read the scripture and then it gives you the preface about why that scripture was written or, you know, in context to all the other scriptures. So I don't know if that's practical enough, but those, oh, yeah, it's kind of yeah. like comes in layers, right? Where you maybe start with the Bible reading plan and then you go to your pastor because you want to study the book of this, or you get involved in the church and, you know, some small groups or life groups or whatever you call them will have, you know, we're going to study James. So go to that group and study James together. So there's it's more or less, I really feel like we make excuses when we say it seems too hard because we don't have time and it's really hard to confront because we're confronted, right? With our heart issues when we go to the word. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it can be confusing and overwhelming. And so that's when we want to give up. And I think it's important of that's when we get to press in. Yes. Right. Hold on one second. I'm going to reach back here for something. You mentioned a Bible reading plan, and the whole reason that I started a magazine called Keep Going is because I wanted people to keep going reading the Bible. Yeah. And I thought, if it's a beautiful magazine, they'll put it on their coffee table. And on the inside is the Bible reading plan, 
So if it's on their coffee table, they'll see it in the morning to yeah. say, oh, yeah, there's the thing that, that reminds me I'm reading the Bible today. I also thought it would be like an easy way to bring up to friends when they came over to their house. Yeah. Hey, you know, this is how I read the Bible. You want to read the Bible together? So yeah. I think you're right. Having a Bible reading plan that's simple and, and small. I think people start too big. They're like, you just mentioned read one chapter. Guys, yeah. one chapter takes five minutes. It yeah. takes 10 minutes. And one chapter is fine. It's yeah. okay. Um, but people are like, I got to read 10 chapters if I'm a, if I'm a you know, real Christian. And you know, even, sometimes even half a chapter. Yeah. It's always what you can get in or, uh, and you know, when the Israelites were collecting manna in Exodus 16, it says, and the ones who collected much did not collect too much. And the ones who collected little did not collect too little. Jesus is the bread of life. And so when you, when you read the word, he's your manna and the yeah. ones who collect much do not collect too much. And the ones who collect little do not collect too little. So I think, you know, the practical advice of starting somewhere, no matter how small, is excellent for anyone who's just wanting to engage truth. Yeah. So I know you have a lot more you want to say. So dive in. What have we not covered yet that you, that you want to share with people who are experiencing some pain right now? I, Hebrews 11, 6, it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. And I think the most important thing is that we don't simply visit faith. You know, it's where we stay mm. and hope isn't a wish. You know, we, we, we use that interchangeably <laughs> like, Oh, I just hope that I get picked or you do. I just hope that, you know, so-and-so wins American Idol, you know, whatever. I don't even watch American Idol, but, you know, we yeah. just say things. And I think that we've lost the true context of hope. And, and hope is that it's something we know will go, was going to happen. It's that confident expectation of who he is, his character, his nature, what he's already done, what he's already proven in scripture through his word and his promises. And it's not, you know, hope isn't what we can see in three days. Like you're doing things and you know, it's coming. That isn't hope. If you know, it's coming, it isn't hope. Hope is the things that you cannot see, but you know, to be true. That's right. That's right. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can stand on is knowing that we're not just wishing things to happen. You know, standing in faith right. is not hoping Different. things will happen. It's knowing that it's already done. Mm, big difference. Yeah. Okay. I want you to repeat that because that's pretty huge. That's huge. Wishing things that haven't happened would happen mm -hmm. different from true hope. Go, go there again. So I was talking about how, you know, faith is not just wishing for things to happen. It's faith is knowing that it's already happened. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's a different, your heart posture will land very differently if you already believe it's happened. Right. And you're right that we have um, diminished, we've hollowed out the word hope mm -hmm. and make it like wishing. Yeah. And, and I love the word wish, but it's not, I mean, ho hope is holy. 
If yeah. you said, what you said at the beginning of this recording is um, faith needs hope to work. Like yeah. they go, they hope is faith's fuel. If if Hebrews eleven is right, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Well, then yeah. the hope comes first. It's fuel, <laughs> yeah. like the faith. And um, so, yeah, it's completely different. Hope is different from wishing. It's not what you what hasn't happened you desire it to happen. It's relying on what already has happened. How mm -hmm. could you have faith any other way if it hadn't already happened? Mm -hmm. That's one for you. I think in the scripture, when you pray, believe you have received. Yeah. It's, it's saying like, once you've prayed the prayer, believe it's done. Right. Even if you don't see it for 10 years, but you get to stand on the fact that he heard your prayer. You are praying and you believe that you will receive the prayer. You know, of course, according to his will, I'm not saying like, you know, worldly things or, you know, I'm just saying these prayers that we pray to believe we have received. And, you know, when he tells us to speak to the mountain and tell it to move, guys, we don't have to pray to God to get the enemy out of our life. I mean, like we get to stand and kick him out. When he tells us to move, we get to tell the sickness, no, we get to tell it to get out. Like we get to use our words that he's given us the authority and the power to speak to the mountain and tell it to move instead of just kind of shying away. And that's a whole other topic, power and authority and just getting mm -hmm. on that. But, but yeah. that, that's probably what I would leave every, everybody with. And I wrote this down is that faith works through love. Our faith comes from our love and we respond with love by faith. Oh, that is beautiful. Say it again. So faith works through love because God is love and our faith comes from our love, our love for Christ. We respond with love by faith. We love him so much and we trust in his word. So we stand on faith. Mm -hmm. So now in your life, you're standing on faith. You look energetic and healthy. So I'm sure that things have turned around somewhat um, for you since that time. Yeah. So tell us what your life looks like now. It's definitely changed. Uh, it took me probably a year to, well, two years to find the right doctor. And then a year after I found my naturopath, who's a kinesiologist who does like muscle testing, actually found out that it was my pancreas that needed some help and support. And all along, people were like, it's your thyroid, it's your adrenal. And so they were giving me things. My thyroid and my adrenal were basically second and third base. Like pancreas needed to be attended to. And what was happening is my adrenals and thyroid were just trying to help my pancreas. And so it took me about a year to really recover and learning more about uh, childhood trauma and trauma in general and pain that can lead to chronic illness. Mm -hmm. And looking back of all the things that I experienced and went through, I realized that that was a, probably a lot as well of what my body had to unwind mm -hmm. um, and undo of, I mean, our body really does keep a score, you yeah. know, even because we often disassociate ourselves and we'll numb ourselves from what's happening, but our body is still communicating and so now it's this process of kindness of things still try to come at me, you know, but now I'm like, I can work out, I can move my body. And if something happens where I have to take time off from working out, it's not, I'm not obsessive anymore. Right. Cause I'm in the fitness industry. So I would obsess all the time about 
the looks and all the things. And now I'm like, oh, if I just need to walk for four weeks, okay, that's okay. Like it's this whole of, I'm not going to be here forever. This is temporary. I know what the truth says. Mm -hmm. So uh, to the person who has experienced some childhood trauma and when they heard you talk about that, it resonated in them that maybe this is part of why I'm experiencing pain is because my body has kept a score. What did you do um, to address that aspect? So for probably most middle to late twenties, um, I call him my spiritual dad because my mom and my dad were never really in the picture at all. Um, my, I came from an abusive home, both parents differently. And so I had my spiritual dad, PJ for five years, just walking me through, I want to say all my craziness, but my thoughts and helping me reframe what was happening versus what was reality. And so, and of course, you know, then came in my husband, but then came in the church that I'm at now. And of course the scripture and it's being willing to, um, understand, I, I keep saying understand, but it's really that compassion re giving you an example. I had a lot of anger and hate towards my parents. I just felt like the world owed me something. I felt like people owed me something because of what I went through. I felt like why this wasn't fair. Um, I don't owe them anything. Why do I need to forgive them? And I kept coming across those scriptures of forgiveness and, um, you know, mother and father and, and understanding what love looked like, even if they weren't in my life. And so me walking through these layers of, well, then I can have compassion, understanding of maybe I don't know their full story about how they were raised or the trauma and the things that they experienced that maybe caused them to react the way that they did with me. And it's not saying that what they did was right, but it's just that we, it's these layers of healing where I don't have to carry the anger or the bitterness or the things that you know, had weighed me down for so long that probably they weren't, they weren't weighing down anybody else, but they were weighing down me because I wanted to fix the problem. You know, I wanted to take care of it. Um, and scripture tells us to not take revenge that the Lord is the one who avenges for us. And so I think that is something too, of just like, I get to be the one that comes from this place while the Lord, you know, he really does fight our battles. And I think we have to understand like, that's true. And we get to sit back. I mean, we're not just sitting back though in a chair and just like hanging out. I mean, I mean, I pursued the truth. I pursued the healing emotionally. And I'll tell you, your body will change too well, as you pursue the healing emotionally and spiritually. And I know a lot of people that won't go to church because a pastor had hurt them or something happened. Like there needs to be spiritual healing there of people mess up. We're messy people, right? Like we leave messes in places and to go through that process of, you know, if somebody hurt you in the church to never go to church again, like we need to step into that and just honestly address those issues. It doesn't make them go away, but I can, that's a whole other topic too. Just I'm so pain glad you brought it up though. I'm yeah. so glad you brought it up. Um, because I, yeah, I believe that it was, divinely appointed by the Lord that you'd bring up not going back to church when you've been hurt. Um, because so many of the people who listen to my podcast have contacted me and said, you know what, this kind of, for right now, this is all I can handle. Cause I'm not, I want, I want the Lord, but I'm not going back to church because I was hurt there. Yeah. And you know, uh, maybe one pastor hurt you, 
maybe a group of people hurt you, but not every pastor, not every group is um, going to hurt you that way. And just like you, Jessica, you found a group, a new church that was different. Yeah. And so I want to encourage people, yes, address that pain. Don't shut down the whole idea of plugging into a Christian community just because one Christian community treated you poorly. There's more for you out there. There are good people waiting to embrace yeah. you. I, I feel like we could keep going on, but I know we should wrap up soon. There's, there's two stories real quick is, you know, I want us to understand that don't just stay in a church because your mom might get mad if you leave. Mm-hmm. And I just speak that with so much love and I hear it all the time. I really want to go to your church, but if I leave the church that I'm at, my brother or my mom or my sister, they're going to get really upset because I've been there for 20 years. It's not feeding me. I don't feel involved, but I really want to go to your church. And I, I don't know about you, Nika, but I hear this a lot. And I just want to encourage you that your relationship with the Lord matters before your parents. And I understand there's, there's a lot of boundaries and things that happen in there, but you have to remember, like, you need to be fed. You need to be involved. Like it's important. I don't want to shit on you, but you know, like it's, it's important that we get fed in a place that speaks to our heart. And I think that's why so many of us get bored in church or we just show up out of obligation and we're not fully engaged because we're there for our friend or our mom and we're not there for God. Yes. And what was the second story? And the second story um, was even, I love our pastor and I love our church and we're very small. We're only a year and a half old. So I actually founded the church, not founded the church, but I planted the church with them, my pastor. And at the time he had gotten engaged. And after they gotten engaged, uh, it was like the enemy just tried to separate the church. And so when I say getting hurt in the church, I speak from experience Mm because we were in leadership, my husband and I, and then, um, we had been asked to step down from leadership because of everything that was happening with their relationship and the tension and the comments that were being made. But here's the truth is that other people still loved me well. And I think that's the most important thing is I didn't leave because there was drama. I pressed in because I knew that change was coming, even though, see, I felt like it was a downgrade. I did. I felt like it was a downgrade, but after the nine months and the Lord really showing my pastor what was going on, I got to see the upgrade. So, you know, the things happen with the relationship, but after that kind of separated, it was like the Lord blossomed the church because you can't, where envy and strife is, there is ever evil work. Scripture says that. And so we can't deny that when there's envy and strife within us, that there's not ever evil work. And so when I say church hurts, I'm talking for nine months of just being every Sunday comments or things being made about me or said or looked at wrong over and over again. And I was just like, my best friends were, are in the, in the same church and we're all really close. And they did keep me encouraged because it started happening to the leadership. And so I speak from personal experience. I could, have, I could have easily have left, but I knew his word was true. And I loved what he spoke even in his emotional frustration of what he was going on. Cause we're messy people, right? I knew I, I, we just couldn't shake that. We loved what he stood for. 
Yes. You know, and so I think that's important to, and we've, you know, we've done reconciliation and we're really close now and all those things, but what would have happened if I walked away and went to a church that I didn't believe in just because I, so I could go to church or if I just stayed home and thought that was, you know, the best. Right. Oh, I love that we're ending on this because I guarantee you there are people who are in the stormy weather of people talking bad about them and that nobody wants to go out into the weather. We we want to stay in our little warm cocoon, drink some hot cocoa under a blanket when it's storming outside, but you kept going out. Yeah. Going out until the season changed. Yeah. So I'm glad that we're talking, we began talking about physical health and now we're talking about spiritual health and fighting for, for that change. It's the same exact process, standing on the truth. And, and giving faith the fuel of hope that you hope this season will turn around and look for you. It definitely did. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to know all of the ways that we can connect with you and also support. I know you've written books. Yeah. Um, what can you point us to right now that we can do to support you in your ministry? Um, well, you can follow me on Instagram at Jessica Hoddle, or if you love just anything that we were talking about today, you can just come follow me on my podcast. What's the truth where I talk each week about a different lie. Um, and we'll have Nika on there too. So you'll get to see Nika talk about a lie as well. And so that, those are the two main things where we just kind of hang out and, um, you know, I have a freebie where, you know, the top five lies that women believe and that's on my website at Jessica Hoddle. There you have it. Faith needs the fuel of hope. Be sure to share this episode with someone you know who may be feeling desperate, stuck, confused, anxious, aimless, or just wants out. Because we've all been there. And together, we are not alone. Thank you for listening to the Keep Going Podcast. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going. Take now your